up everyone, welcome to Drummer's Perspective. My name is Ben Todd and I'm here to help broaden your scope of what's possible as a drummer. Thank you so much for tuning in today, whether you're listening on the podcast or you're here with me on YouTube, I really appreciate you wherever you are. If you are here on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell, that would really help me out. Today though, I had the incredible pleasure of chatting with Gareth Thompson. Now Gareth is a guy who encapsulates so much about something I love to promote here on Drummer's Perspective, and that is guys and girls who start out as drummers, and then at some point along their drumming journey, they dive deep into another avenue of music, they go headfirst into it, and they learn so much about this new area and skill set. they bring that back into their musical vocabulary, and then they end up succeeding tremendously in this new field. Now for Gareth, he started out as an incredible drummer, studying with guys like Mark Juliana, Dave Ehrlich, John Riley, and I should say he is still doing some amazing gigs as a drummer to this day, but where he's really succeeding is in the world of mixing and producing. Most notably, he's mixed releases for Sex on Toast, Alex Flood, Carly Aldis, the list goes on. But I had a super interesting chat with Gareth about his journey from starting out as a drummer into this field of mixing and producing all of the steps that he took to get to where he is now, the things he had to learn, exactly how he learnt them, and the things that can help you if you're a drummer that want to get into the field of mixing and producing. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy my chat with Gareth Thompson. Before we get into today's chat, I want to offer you a free gift just by you being here. And today it's my five tips to improve how you play with backing tracks PDF guide. Now we all know that playing along with backing tracks can be super fun and enjoyable, but we can also waste so much precious practice time just jamming along and shredding to them. Now the main issue I hear time and time again with drummers who are playing with backing tracks is this real sense of disconnect between what they're playing and the track itself. It's like they're completely oblivious to all the subtleties and nuances that are going on within the music of the backing track and just in their own little world. Many of the concepts that I discuss in this guide are the exact same concepts that I utilize when I'm asked to record drum tracks for people from my home studio. Here I'm essentially sent a backing track from an artist or musician and they're asking me to record drums to their music and send it back to them with the ultimate goal of it sounding like I'm playing drums with the band of musicians that have recorded the track. So if you want to improve your overall musical experience of playing with backing tracks, as well as learn some key concepts and ideas about how to dramatically improve as a drummer by focusing on some specific things when you play with backing tracks, then please head to drummersperspective.com slash five track tips and download that free PDF guide right now. Gareth Thompson, thank you so much for being here, man, and taking the time to to chat and share your wisdom and knowledge about all things mixing and producing and drumming. And yeah, it's great to to connect with you again. Likewise, man. Thanks so much for the chance. It's great to great to speak to you. And yeah, my pleasure. Of course, of course. Uh, anyone that doesn't know Gareth, uh, incredible drummer you've got some amazing credits and you've studied with some incredible people as well i didn't realize when i was checking out your bio like mark juliana and dave ehrlich and john riley and and you've played with uh like sex on toast and uh carly oldest melbourne symphony south century recently i saw you were doing a tour which mm. is uh yeah man amazing stuff but now you have this whole catalog of of mixing and producing credits as well that's even more um impressive i suppose and i suppose the interesting thing uh from my point of view is is looking at your journey i first heard of you as 
uh, a drummer, um, incredible drummer. I think I heard some Sex on Toast tracks, uh, which is the first time I heard you play. And then mm-hmm. seemingly overnight, which I'm sure it wasn't, <laughs> for, from your point of view, you're putting yourself out there as a mixing engineer and a, and a producer and turning out some amazing stuff. Um, and uh, my whole idea with this platform and this channel is to kind of give a voice and uh, and yeah, platform to to drummers who have started out as players and now have maybe transitioned into a different area within music. You know, still mm-hmm. holding drums as the central thing and and playing, but you know, you're succeeding so incredibly in this whole field of mixing and producing. Um. So, yeah, I, I just wanted to know, like, uh, I guess we can start at the start. When did you first become interested in mixing and producing? And was there a point where you decided, like, okay, I'm really going to pursue this as kind of a source of income versus, like, just a hobby that you were working on alongside of drumming? Yeah, sure, sure. Well, it's definitely been, like, an evolution. Um how far back do you want to go? <laughs> oh man. Well, I mean, I guess like I've, when was like the, the first sex on toast days, were you interested in it then? Like even probably earlier, I wasn't, oh, doing yeah. it, but I was definitely interested in it. Um, so I started playing drums pretty young. Um, maybe I was around five, six, seven years old, started dabbling with the drums. Um, my parents were both musicians. My mom's a, a music teacher. Um, my dad's a hobbyist musician, played a few instruments. Um, and, uh, so music was all, always around. And then I think uh, my first exploration of any sort of mixing was probably like being like 12 or 13 years old and just like playing on my dad's laptop with a uh, cakewalk <laughs> back right. then. And, and like, I think he, he stopped me from doing that after a year or so because he needed the, the laptop for work. <laughs> but um, and then, I, then I used to like fiddle around with like production ideas and like just silly beats and making like terrible little film score ideas as like maybe a 16, 17 year old on like reason. I think I was using back then mm-hmm. and, like, double with Ableton. I mean, all this while I was like mostly a drummer, I was like 99.9% a drummer the whole time, but uh, I was always curious about it. And I even went to an open day when I finished high school at the end of year 12, um, me and dad went to go check out a bunch of open days of different courses. And we went to a TAFE course in Melbourne that was doing audio and we were kind of curious about that. Um, but I also went to an open day for, for VCA for, to do live drumming as well, to do drumming. So um, I think I was like more ahead with the drumming then. So I kind of decided to pursue that. I also had a bit of like a, a funny experience t- chatting to some of the staff at this TAFE course. They said something along the lines of like, because VCA is mostly like a jazz kind of school, I guess, jazz improv sort of school. And they're like, oh, you don't hear much jazz on the radio, do you? And I was like, I don't like that attitude. I'm going to go just <laughs> Jazz course. <laughs> oh wow! They were, they, were, they were right. They're not wrong, but that wasn't the attitude I was up for. So that's amazing. Um, uh, but yeah, it's funny. Someone just putting a bad taste in your mouth can change your the course. Oh of my your gosh! Quickly, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, yeah. I mean, full disclosure. Like, I love jazz and I love pop and I love everything on the radio as well. So it's like, <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> but uh, I ended up going to study jazz and I went kind of all in on that and gave up on the production mixing thing. Um, and yeah, just went all in on the drums for probably like six or seven years. Um, and I wasn't really doing any production. I didn't know how to do anything really. Um, I used to open Ableton every now and then and just have a little noodle around, but I didn't know how to to really do anything. And then 
Sex on Toast, I joined that band. They'd been going since Angus was in high school, but I joined it maybe when I was about 22 years old. Um, and uh, yeah, and then we started recording and we went to the studio, but we had this idea of a sound that needed to be more produced. So, um, but we didn't know anyone who could really do that. I didn't know anyone who could program drums. Um, we thought about maybe paying someone, but it was gonna be expensive. We didn't have any money. So I just had to like, download logic and figure out how to do it <laughs> um, amazing yeah i just started like fiddling around with logic and and uh it took me about six months of pain but we eventually put together something and that was that track taken over um that we put wow out. Yeah, yeah that's a great track yeah so that was like recorded live drums in the studio and then i like edited the drums and edited all the parts um and then like layered the drums with samples and and then I took it to an amazing mixer who really saved the day. He kind of had to redo all my work again. <laughs> um, Andre Ehrman, who's still a really close friend of mine now. So yeah, he was really young. He was like 20 at the time and he was already like killing it as a mixer. Um, wow. So we took the project to him and he saved the day and made it sound as great as it does, um, fortunately. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of like my entry point into actually doing something in the production world. Um, and then how I ended up in mixing was sort of I was for a few years just like sitting over the shoulder of every mixer that would take our tracks into and just like asking them too many questions and annoying them a little bit too much. Um, and they just uh, were really generous with their time. And I even had like another mixer called Stephen Schramm. Like he was, he had a little competition, like, Hey, anyone who's young and wants to learn about mixing, I'm going to open up my doors for a couple of young people. Um, I sent him one of my terrible mixes and, and he had a listen. He's like, yeah, you can come. Um, and he just let me <laughs> sit over his shoulder for like a day and, and just watch him mix for a day. And then like, I was just like writing notes, um, all day. And yeah, so like John Paul Fung, Andre Ehrman and Stephen Schramm, like just, yeah, letting me watch them work, um, was sort of like my first chance to really learn a few things. Then I was doing a bit more production for some other people, um, through like my friend social network and sex on toast and and um started to do a little bit of mixing through that um i was always doing the rough mixing for the sex on toast tracks um they weren't particularly great but they started to get better slowly slowly and then eventually i think my friend lewis moody said something along the lines of like oh you're not too bad at this so <laughs> like that that slightest bit of encouragement was like maybe i should learn a thing learn a thing or two so um yeah then i just like signed up to pure mix i read a bunch of books um i can't remember what the books are i think i read like three or four different mixing books I signed up to Pure Mix and tried to watch every video on that um, over the course of a year or two. And uh, yeah, just slowly started to like learn, learn how to do it. And um, just hitting everyone up and saying, hey, I'll mix your track. I'll mix it for free. Like just send it to me and I'll give it a go. Great. Um, yeah. And like all this while I was still drumming and doing touring work and, and playing with Sex on Toast and starting to play with some other artists. I was playing with an artist called Lakin and Elliot and different people, kind of some people in the jazz scene as well. Um, so like the mixing thing was just like a little sort of like my spare time thing. It was just like a 5% kind of thing that was kind of going on in the background that I wasn't really getting paid for, but I was just loved it. I was just curious about it. Um, and then eventually, yeah, eventually I started going like, I need to get some money for this. So I started like charging like a little bit, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, just to like some of the friends who were trusting me and like saying I need a little bit of money and then they'd, they'd pay me and like just today, actually like a track, um, we're going to timestamp this this interview but <laughs> but like alex flood track came out today he put out an ep today mm. um he was one of the first people i worked with oh, great he, he was looking for a mastering engineer he just posted on his story one day 
and we'd met through being drumming friends um, a couple years prior. And uh, yeah, he 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 was just posting his stories like, anyone can anyone recommend any mastering engineers? And I replied, I was like, yeah, these are like my top five favorite guys. You should check them, guys or girls. You check them all out; they're awesome. Um, also, if you don't want to want to do it on the cheap, I'll do it for fifty bucks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And he replied, he's like, yeah, I'll I'll try that. Um, wow. And he trusted me, and then. And then he sent me the track and I was like, look, can I just mix this for you again? I'll do the mix for free. Wow. He's like, yeah, go for it. Um, and then he sent me the files and um, and then he was really, really happy with what I did. And that ended up being the track Heartbeat that he was mm. on his um, And yeah, then we developed a relationship from there. And um, yeah. And That's amazing. That was one of my first projects. It's just amazing. I love that thing about like, I swear like 80% of the people I still work with are people that I met 10, 15 years ago. Like, yeah, yeah. People you grew up with, like teachers yeah. or like high school or. or yeah, you, yeah. That's great. Still on a similar wavelength, just find each other and stay together, I think. Yeah. Well, I think that's it because you, you grow, at, you're growing as a mixing engineer at the same rate as the people you're working with in, you know, in some ways. You know, like I remember seeing Alex play, well, I gave Alex some lessons like, in high school, you know, and to see his progression, you know, yeah. from, from then, you know, yeah. this tiny, shy little kid into being this incredible, you know, independent artist, you know, putting out amazing stuff that he is now is it's incredible, you know, and it's the same, you know, kind of with, with your journey, I suppose, with the, with the mixing as well, it's, it grows and develops, you know, at the more you learn and the more connections you have. And mm. um, I, I'm curious, like, have there been any projects come up like once you decided like, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to like go all in and, you know, get my rate sorted out and blah, blah, blah. Did anything come up at any point where you realize like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit out of my depth with this. Like I need to learn, you know, like, because you, you've kind of grown and pieced things together and, and got your knowledge steps, you know, as you went but then like has, has has a project come up or a track come up that you're like oh my gosh like this is a this is a lot you know it might might, might have been earlier on in your journey but i'm just mm-hmm. thinking about the guys that are like getting into mixing and thinking like yep i'm i got a handle on this and then yeah what what are the things that kind of that kind of surprised you that you you needed to go back and and check out a bit more i think i've i don't think i've ever really felt like enormously out of my depth um Mostly just because the projects that come your way are sort of like they're prepared for where you're at. Mm, <laughs> sure. Like where I, when I was starting, like I didn't really know what I was doing and then the mixes would have been terrible. Um, but fortunately, <laughs> they were just like artists. They're like, yeah, let's, we, we're not that up for spending that heaps of money, but we're kind of just like someone who likes music and has got a keen ear and like is enthusiastic is going to give it a go. Sure. Um, so, and then I think it's just like the, the I guess the, the intensity of projects or like the demands of the projects have sort of risen with my skills. Um, there's always going to be a bit of imposter syndrome, I think. Mm. And that's, that's healthy. Like I've learned to sort of embrace that because if mm. you don't have that, you're not sort of challenging yourself enough. You've got to find that certain level of edge that you're constantly pushing yourself slightly out of your comfort zone. I'm always looking to do that. Um, so for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm always like hungry. I'm always asking questions. Every time I run into like a problem, I just hit up a few friends. I'm like, Oh, how do you do this? How do you do this? How do you do this? And then just always have a network of of people you trust who know what you're doing. And like, yeah, just always learning like every day. Like today I spent like two hours watching 
mixed with the master's tutorials. <laughs> yeah, great. I'm always hungry to figure out what's next. Yeah. So in that sense, what do you think that you're on a path of learning and educating yourself more about mixing and production than you are necessarily like drums, like playing stuff now? Are you in, in that world a little bit more than like, you know, the drum education kind of thing? Yeah, I would say more so. And that's just because that's what the world is demanding of me right now. Sure, <laughs> um, yeah. I think I go through periods where like a gig comes up, I'm like, oh, I'm out of my depth here. I need to shed. I need to like, need to get some practice under my belt right now. Um, mm. And so I'll like hit the practice room and we'll clear my mixing schedule for a few weeks and just like practice um, just to get up to speed. But mm -hmm. most of the time, I mean, fortunately, the last two years, I've just had a constant stream of, production and mixing work that's just like there's always something next to do so like mm. unless a gig comes up that i really need to prepare for I'm, i haven't been that like intentionally hungry to learn more about drums i'm always like watching stuff learning mm -hmm. stuff and always listening to music every day like just mm. big music mm -hmm. um, but in terms of sitting down and practicing i haven't done that maybe in a few years now just as mm. like a regular you know brushing your teeth sort of habit yeah 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 sure sure yeah, so that, i was definitely in that world for 10 solid years and i did a lot of work on my drum skills for a long time um but now it's just like got to the point it's like okay artists want me to do this i'm gonna do this <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah i think that's a super interesting uh point uh as we're talking about this this whole um idea like that i want to kind of share with drummers of like you're not necessarily you don't necessarily just have to be you know locked into a lane of, of if you're a drummer you can just play gigs like that's the only way you can make money that's the only way you can have a career is just to go out and play gigs and a lot of people do that and of course like that's amazing mm -hmm. but if you do want to like you know put some other skill sets and and diversify your career a little bit more sometimes there is a point where you do have to choose <laughs> you know like now like you say the world is demanding you as a mixing engineer which is amazing it's such a credit to your like um dedication to learning this you know a whole other skill set aside from playing um but yeah like you you're having to make that choice of like okay i love drums that's my background it's you'll always have a place for it but now like you just you know that's your world is the mixing which is uh it's great and i i i guess that kind of leads me to something I wanted to ask you about, which was mm. like your background in drumming and playing, it obviously mm. the, affects the way you hear music and maybe the way you mix. But mm. like when you do go and do a gig now as a drummer, is there anything that your ears are more like attuned to, or do you think it's affect, it, it affects the way you play, you know, with your producing, you know, mm. uh, background, you know, are you making different choices like, technically and and with the, with the parts you play because you've you're in this world of production and mixing yeah yeah it's a good question um i think if i was to think back to like five or six years ago when i started to move into the production i think like the the changes were more evident in my playing then because um i think pre-production world my playing was a bit more loosey-goosey and just like and the time was a bit more fluid and more moving. I was more like doing more jazz gigs, I guess, um, improv gigs. But uh, I really went through, I think, a transformation when I was working on the Sex on Toast stuff. And I was like, having to, I wanted the records to feel really tight. I wanted to sound like, I wanted to sound like a Steely Dan record. Uh, 
and it wanted to be like super super tight and i'm also like i'm a big fan of like electronic music um i grew up listening to like Aphex Twin and Orteca and Radiohead and Square Pusher and stuff like that and like beat and you know, drum programming in general. So I like li- I like tight drums. So I wanted the record to sound like the, the records to sound like that. Um, it was just really painful to have to go through and like learn how to edit and beat map your own drumming um, and realize where your tendencies are. So that was like a really like good learning experience of seeing where your weaknesses are as a drummer. Mm, that's super interesting. Right edit your own drawing and realize like how much of a hack you are because you haven't hit right right there. So yeah, I think that's a helpful skill for every drummer to know is like how to like edit your own drumming. You'll see where your tendencies are. Um, and then when you hear how tight it is and when you've spent like hours and hours kind of like fine tuning it, keeping a bit of the musicality and like human touch in there, but still getting it as tight as you possibly can. So it sounds great of the record um, in this modern day and age. Uh, yeah. You'll learn a lot about your, what about time, I think. But uh, yeah, I think then coming back to live playing, it changed my sound a little bit. I became a lot more hyper-focused on precision um, and making sure like what I was playing in the kit felt like a record. Um, I think, yeah, like I never, definitely never really achieved as much as, high, as, as much as I would like to compared to some of my heroes, but um, I definitely felt like that change happened through the learning production process a lot more, mm. yeah. That's super interesting. Who, who, who are some guys that you uh, look up to in, in a drumming sense of like, you can tell that they've, that they're coming out playing from that world of, you know, um, the, the super precise and intentional, you know, note placement and, and, you know, voicing, you know, who, who are some of the guys that you really admire in that sense? Mm, um, oh, I mean, I feel like that's a common thread with, basically all the best drummers is like they're yeah. insanely precise um like even yourself like even watching alex flood play is so precise like watching uh, uh like michael iverson is a hero of mine mm. um, he's precise um uh lee fisher which is mm-hmm. interesting drummers right now like Andy yeah Fisher, yeah great like, yeah so precise um graham pogson super precise mm-hmm. but then like yeah like American drummers and like overseas drummers, like just seeing like, uh, like Matt Chamberlain's always been a hero of mine. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Like, uh, Mark Juliana, Keith Carlock. Yeah, sure. All these people are super, like super, super precise with their time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's, it's an interesting point because I guess you, you kind of like respect drummers and idolize drummers at different stages of your growth, you know, like in the, in the earlier times of, you know, getting into drums, I think a lot of people are impressed by the flash and the chops and all that kind of thing. And then, you know, the more mature everyone gets, it seems to be a similar path that everyone starts to uh, respect and admire. Yeah. People's, you know, just the uh, velocity consistency, you know, (laughs) or like the placement of, of the backbeat and things like that. It's, it's, it's a very, um, common you know conversation that happens with you know mature uh i suppose more experienced drummers um but it's it's interesting for you because you you kind of got to that point maybe a little faster than some people because you went in looking at your own playing and mixing and um and uh editing Mm -hmm. from from a from that point rather than like a a a solely playing point you know Mm, totally you know you mentioned some of the drummers i've had lessons off um 
yeah so a lot of those especially in the states yeah a lot of those were within a two period of the states for three months when i was 22 i think 23 maybe four years old and i i, I thought i wanted to get lessons of all these different people because i just like adored all their playing but I, I knew I needed to have a common thread because I didn't want it to be just too scattered, just like bits of information all over the place. I, I knew I wanted to have a common thread through the whole experience over a few months. And um, I went into it with the intention of like, I'm going to ask every single, I think I had lessons off 12 drummers over three months in, in the States, maybe 13. And I just wanted to ask all of them, like, how do you work on time? What's your time thing? <laughs> and they some of them were like pretty lofty ideas. Some of them were like super disciplined, like precise, like, regimented approaches um but yeah that was kind of like my my mantra for the time it's just like i'm just gonna figure this out <laughs> and there Amazing. was definitely a before and after that period like people like the band members of sex and toast like definitely saw it as like a chapter change before trip after trip <laughs> that's great yeah. yeah that's great wow can you remember like what, what what's what's an exercise that stuck out in your mind that uh that you you found very beneficial because i think like the whole topic of working on time mm. is so it's so vague and it means different like different things to different people and sometimes if someone's just like i want to work on my time it can mean a million different things mm. but um uh, but but for you what's something that you you took away from the lesson that you you know perhaps still work on um yeah yeah so i think uh I can't really remember a lot of them. <laughs> I did write them down and I was working on them for a while, but um, Mark Juliana had a really good one, which you can learn about if you like get his book. Mm. He basically gave me like the lesson one out of his book. Um, right. Just, just like shifting at slow tempos with a coordination exercise, shifting between eights to triplets to sixteenths and going backwards and forwards, eights, mm -hmm. triplets, triplets, sixteenths. And just like, the slower and more hyper aware you do it, you start to realize that that triplet is where you, the gears change. Mm. And if you can learn to be super precise with all sorts of extra challenges and stepping it up with all sorts of, all sorts of challenges he goes through, but it basically, yeah, it's just shifting between eight six, triplets and 16s and going backwards and forwards um, mm -hmm. and then putting that around the kit. And then, mm. yeah, but just check out his book. Anyway, yeah, that was, yeah. Doing that super slow and it like it, just super slow precision stuff is like mm. just that the, the, the attention thing I think is is, is really important. Mm -hmm. uh, like hyper aware, like it's like training your brain as well. Mm -hmm. uh, training the physicality is really important as well. Working like twice as much on your right foot as you do in your hands because the right foot just takes way longer. Mm. Uh, then there was other things like Ari Honig was recommending like uh just learning standards and singing them and soloing underneath it mm -hmm. doesn't sound like a time exercise but within that i think that's what he liked to work on to work on his time mm. um who else michael iverson has a bunch of great stuff um yeah basically just right. like a simple exercise where you just work on syncopation like through these 16th note patterns there's like 15 of them mm. and you just the kit in different ways in really slow mm -hmm. time like super mm -hmm. precise basic stuff just like the most basic stuff mm. at a really high attention to detail is basically how you work on it there's also other people like talked people talked about like i think ivo really got me into like maybe it was dave Illich, i can't remember um they were just like yeah just get into like sam harris meditation tapes mm. <laughs> learn 100%. to meditate yeah yeah um yeah. 
Also, just learning to breathe, like sit back and breathe properly when you're playing. Things yeah. Like that. And of course, like the biggest swing, just play along to records, play yeah. a lot. Yeah. If I was to add my own extra thing, it was like, um, what really helped my time was for the next few years was just like doing basically every gig to click. Yeah. Um, that's sort of like sacrilege. <laughs> it's not really like I wouldn't do that at every gig, but within Sex on Toast, when it was like a nine piece band and there was just chaos everywhere, mm. having like me hold it down with a metronome in my ears that no one else can hear, mm. kind of taught the band to finally play in time. And then we, the whole band got better um, through That's, that process. It's super interesting. At first, it, like the guitarist is like, oh, I feel like I'm at the dentist. It's so surgical. He didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. but, like, but we eventually just learned how to play like that and it really helped us. And then, like, I was doing a lot of. Uh, MD work like laptop and running tracks and playing with artists and then so basically a lot of my gigs for a few years there were all to track um so mm-hmm. yeah that, that's really good for your time just years and years of stuff to track and click <laughs> sure 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 yeah man I, I hear you for sure I I took a couple of lessons with Dave Illich as well and he got me uh turned on to like yeah playing at like just you know straight ahead rock beat but like at 40 beats per minute you know and like then you put the click on just two and four yeah and then he's the first he was the first teacher that i had that said okay we're gonna take the metronome slower now Mm. like you're so you know ingrained as as a drum student and music student in general like you want to get things faster and faster yeah he's like Mm. okay now we'll go to down 38 okay now we'll go to 36 and we got it down to like 30 and if you can play like you know, two and four backbeat at 30 beats per minute with the click just on two and four, you know, that's, you learn a lot about yourself you know, when you start doing that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 I, um, I, I used to do a thing very similar to that. I, there's a, a book by Colin Bailey called bass drum technique. And I think like page one or two of that is just like a page of like eighth note triplet and 16th rhythms. Um, designed as like a bass drum exercise. And I would go through that at about 30 or 40 BPM um and then i would like turn off the click so it's just the beat one and then i'd turn off the click so it's just beat one of every second bar mm-hmm. and i <laughs> it's hard it's hard really the slower you get the harder it is mm-hmm. um your level of concentration and, and effort that goes into it is, is the really learning process there mm-hmm. um and <laughs> I, I tried to demonstrate this exercise at a workshop actually in vietnam a few years ago and uh completely made a fool of myself because i just couldn't do it it's so hard yeah wow <laughs> wow I was just like, I was, I started at 60 and I kept going down and down and down and mm. then like, I just couldn't be precise at, at yeah. 20 BP, not precise anymore. And hopefully I made a demonstration of like slow is hard. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I don't know actually if you remember this or not, but we had a jam maybe at your house or something like years ago and you pulled out that book and like, oh, really? we, yeah. And we played through some of that stuff together and that, yeah, that was one of the first times I, I was like, oh yeah, like you can just work on like uh, note placement with your kick, you know, yeah. like uh, it's dialing in on that one specific limb and that one specific kind of intention of just like getting your bass drum like lined up as it should be at slow tempos. But yeah, you were the one that we that that, uh, that, that we shared that for a while, so it was fun, man. <laughs> it's great. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, but um, I, I guess you know for you you've gone on this journey of starting out as a drummer and now in this different world um kind of taking a step back and and looking at the music industry as a whole and people trying to carve out a career as a as a musician 
how important do you think it is to have like another you know um skill set in your in your uh you know set of of things that you do as a musician that is aside from just playing like do you think there's enough space like to to just you know be a great player now or do you think it's becoming more and more you know necessary for people to kind of diversify how they approach like you know making a living as a as a musician oh yeah yeah it's a good question um i think the most important thing i think like well yeah i think the more skills you have across different parts of the industry the easier you will be useful to the industry and the easier it will be to make a living mm. I do think it's really important to be really good at at least one thing. <laughs> sure. Don't jump ship too quick. Um, don't spread yourself too thin. Um, unless you kind of, unless that's being really thinly spread and like that, unless that's your thing. But like, I don't know what sort of, maybe some producers can play lots of instruments a little bit, you know, not that great, but they're amazing producers. But they're, that's a skill within itself. So we're not going to go down that road. Mm. But, um, I think it's really important to be really good at one thing to start mm-hmm. with. Um, and that doesn't matter what that is, just choose something that makes most sense at the time. And then, uh, yeah, and I, but I, I think the intersection between multiple skills is is where you can really, if there's an intersection between like, as a, if there's a crossover, then yeah, you're definitely gonna be more useful in the industry um, mm-hmm. and find it easier to get work and have, you know, craft your own sort of niche. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, then it's an interesting one of like, once you are doing multiple things, then how do you focus again? Cause that's often one mm-hmm. of the challenges I deal with is like, uh, I'll go through a period where someone calls me up to do a drum gear and it's like, oh, okay, I'm gonna have to really like shed for this <laughs> and I'll have yeah. to clean my thing work and like work on drumming again. Um, and then after that few weeks, my ears have kind of lost that fine tuning calibrated thing that I'll have when I'm deeply in mixing land for a few months straight. Um, so the jumping around thing is challenging uh, within itself. Mm. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, but I just sort of go with the flow with that a little bit. Right now I'm in Vietnam, I'm in Saigon and I've sort of made the active decision to like stop drumming mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, while here for maybe three to six months while I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm just going all in on the mixing and mastering and producing at this particular period, this particular season, I guess, yeah. That's amazing. Uh, that's, that's something I was going to ask you. Like, are, are you conscious of of trying to find a balance now that you, you're in the position that you are? We're obviously very in demand as a mixing engineer, but is there anything that, yeah, you, you want to try and balance out with playing? But if you, mm-hmm. yeah, like you say, if it's just a season or a part of your life where you're like, yeah, the next few months, I'm just going to go all in on this. That's amazing. You know, you can, you can just yeah, well, really dial in. Yeah. Right. I think the first time I really did this was during COVID um, when I came to Vietnam and uh, I came to Vietnam around the end of 2019 and I was just, it was only going to be for a few months, but I was like, I'm just going to mix records for a few months um, while over here. And then, and then COVID happened and like everyone's work kind of dried up for a year or two or three. <laughs> um, <laughs> like it was, an, it was a chance for like me to really hone in on the mixing thing for a solid two to three years. So that's really where like my skills and my, my, uh, my mixing career sort of really started to take off during that time. Cause I was mm. not coming um, and I was mm-hmm. in a different country mm. uh, working completely online. Um, this chapter is kind of like a, I've made an active decision not to drum, but it's, it's partly just due to life circumstances as well. Like I'm in Vietnam. I don't actually have my own drum kit, so I'd have to borrow a drum kit. I'd have mm. to 
find gigs, um, mm. getting, um, uh, the cost of living is lower, but also the pay is lower. So like, I'm just like, I'm just going to focus on mixing right now. So that's, mm-hmm. that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. Great. Okay. So if, if, uh, someone out there is listening to this, they're a drummer or perhaps not a drummer, a, a, another kind of musician who is interested in getting into mixing more, you know, it's maybe played around a little bit online with a, on a computer or mm. software or whatever. Um, what what are some of the first steps they should take? Like you recommend they take is it, is it is it kind of going down the formal study route or is it just you know getting some software and playing around or is it just l- like listening exercises or you know what do, what do you suggest? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's something that I really was always asking and curious about for so many years. I was like, how do you become a professional producer? I was always asking this like. Um, I, I remember being like in a tour van with Sex and Toast and like just sitting at my laptop noodling and just kind of having this like hunger to be a producer instead of a drummer for a little while there. So I was always <laughs> asking this question, wishing to, I could like figure it out. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember like weighing up going back to uni and doing, cause I did drums at uni for three years and I was in, in drum world for, for, for a few years. So I wasn't really like, had, didn't have the time to necessarily go back and study audio. So I never studied audio. I never, um, mm. did like a um i don't think there's any one way like i mean so many of my heroes studied um but like also so many great producers and musicians and people in all sorts of fields have never mm. done formal study and mm. my, my route was just like learning on the job basically and mm-hmm. and self-study um and just being really like deeply gen- genuinely curious about it all like mm spending hours reading books and like studying every video and like mix with the masters and pure mix and all these like mm-hmm. online tutorials, like spending mm-hmm. hours on gear space, analyzing mm-hmm. different mixes, techniques, um, mm-hmm. like just developing a network of people that you trust and close friends who are on the same ride with you where you can bounce mm-hmm. off each other or people who are further ahead than you that you can like check in with and like ask some questions. Um, yeah, and then mm. just like lots and lots of trial error, like mm. a lot of terrible mixes, and then practice and practice and practice and practice and keep working. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's just been a gradual, gradual journey. Like same with the gear stuff. Like the gear aspect is a gradual journey as well. Like I didn't go out and just buy a full rig straight away. Like mm. I got Logic and I got a few plugins. I bought like the sound toys and the Fab Filter and some Waves plugins and um. And yeah, eventually just started building up like a I think my first set of monitors were like when I was just doing production, like first year was just like a cheap set of $200 hi-fi Yamaha speakers from the seventies or eighties that I was just <laughs> around with. Hmm. Um, and I got some Dyn audios, um, that Stephen Tram recommended and they were fine. They were kind of a bit small. Um, but then I got some focals and then I got through, went through different couple of different sets of headphones. I got the Bay Dynamic ones, and then I eventually upgraded to these ones, the Audis Audisi LCDX ones. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then this has been kind of like my main monitoring now for like mm-hmm. the last seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. Just, um, yeah, I've also got like NS tens and Dyn mm-hmm. Audio, bigger Dyn Audios now, but I mostly just work on headphones because I, I trust them the most. Yeah, man, that's something I I love about like following you on Instagram and seeing the places that you're working, <laughs> you know, you're mixing oh, right. like exotic locations. Sometimes it's like, man, that's so, so great. You know, that you're able to to yeah. do that in, and travel, you know? Yeah. Well, that was definitely one of the attractions of stepping more into mixing. Um, 
is with obviously when you're in person with drumming or even like being a studio producer who works with people in, in, in the room. Like I love doing that stuff. I love doing both those things. I miss playing with people a lot of the time when I'm traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like my, I was inspired to do the remote thing. Uh, I think I, I mean, I think I read like the 20 or the four hour work week when I was mm-hmm. like 19 years old or something. And my girlfriend read it as well. Interestingly, she was the one who uh, initiated the remote thing because she's a graphic mm-hmm. designer and she just had like, a laptop with, um, you know, Photoshop on it, and you know, Illustrator mm-hmm. using the Adobe Suite, and she was able to go to Vietnam and and like just take her work with her. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, I tried for a month or two, so I had to like downsize my rig and figure out what I can take with me, fit into a suitcase, mm-hmm. um, and then see how it goes. And yeah, that was the start of it. So like, I came to Vietnam with just whatever I could fit in the suitcase, um, mm-hmm. and now I've consolidated my setup to the point where yeah, now I can just like travel wherever so yeah my partner and i just spent three weeks in thailand like island hopping with all my gear in a suitcase <laughs> oh my gosh working from hotel rooms yeah sounds like a dream and it's interesting like i was just speaking to, to to danny ferugia about um his like home recording setup and how he's kind of you know gone on that journey and, and from from the ground up to now working on some major releases from home and he was saying how he he was really turned onto it by like working with a, a musician, touring with a musician and he was getting sent tracks to record. And then this guy was saying, okay, yeah, I can do that in like, you know, two weeks time. I'll, I'll have some time to do that. And Danny was saying that was the first time he actually realized like as a musician, you can dictate your own schedule, you know, it, when you're re- working remotely and working on your own uh, space, you know, you can say like, I'll get around to that. Like when I have time to do it versus like, the standard typical thing of like, are you free on this day? Yes or no kind of thing. And then you, you kind of locked into that. So yeah, it's just a really interesting, it's, it's very interesting. The, the similarities and, and comparisons there are, you know, in so many ways to getting better as a musician and getting better as a, a mixer or a producer, whether it be, yeah, the gear or the, you know, the, the time dedication you need to, to go all in and, and what you learn and, and, even like you were saying earlier on about like volunteering, well, not volunteering, but like offering your services at a cheaper rate, you know, we've, right, we've all yeah. done gigs where we're like, it maybe doesn't pay so well, but like you could we be playing with someone that yeah. could, you know, lead to something else. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's fascinating that there's so many comparisons between the two fields. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, man, uh, so you're doing all of this amazing mixing and producing work now, like if people want to get in touch with you, you know, to work with you or just to see what you're doing and, 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 or what you've done in the past, like where, where's a good place for, for people to check you out? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've got a website. I have Instagram. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. What's the website? Uh, GarethThompson.net. .net. Awesome. Thompson with no P. Okay. Perfect. Awesome, man. Well, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for taking the time to to chat, and um, uh, it's been yeah really fascinating to to kind of go in deep with your journey because, like I said, I've kind of seen it from the outside of like you're an amazing drummer, and now you're an amazing mixer, uh, and like to hear your journey and and it's really it's possible for everyone. You know, it just depends on how um invested you are in in diversifying your skill set but for you man like good on you like you you're doing some amazing stuff and and it's super super inspiring to to me and i'm sure a lot of other guys out there who 
who are players and want to diversify their skill set. So, man, you're you're living proof that it's it's possible. So, thank you for for sharing all of your knowledge today. Oh man, thank you. What a pleasure. What an honor. <laughs> of course, man. Of course, of course. I hope we can hope we can do it again. Go <laughs> to it. Cool, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ben. Take care, mate.